Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. And on a warm evening like tonight, it's the best time of day to be taking a walk in the desert. Just watch your step. It's still warm enough for the serpents to be out and about. A lot of what we all love about the desert is protected and served by that one branch of law enforcement people mostly still have good feelings about. I'm talking about the desert ranger, the park ranger, the forest ranger, the interpretive ranger, the ranger. Now, I'm sure not going to apologize for any rangers, especially over on the law enforcement side, who have misbehaved or gotten in somebody's face, ruined somebody's visit to a national park for no reason. Basically, any ranger who should have been a regular cop Now, in the old days, there were no law enforcement rangers. There were only rangers. And their duty was to know the land, know the animals, know the native plants, know the native tribes, the trails and the watering holes, the birds and the bees. If some scofflaw went up to Yosemite and tried to take something that did not belong to them, well, sure, the ranger was supposed to prevent it. And because we get some rough customers in the West now and then, we've had some rangers you would not want to mess around with. Like the Buffalo Soldiers, who served at Yosemite and also at Sequoia and Kings Canyon, brought in from the U.S. Army, master horsemen, fierce fighters, Volunteer regiments from America's all-black soldier companies, the Buffalo Soldiers. Well, they fought with honor and distinction, as they say, in Cuba and the southwestern U.S. and Mexico. And also in a particularly violent rich-versus-poor ranch war in Johnson County, Wyoming sent in to keep the peace, sent in to round up the hired gang of murderers that the rich had hired to attack the poor farmers. Now in the Philippines, 
This is during the Spanish-American War. Many of the Buffalo soldiers who were out there on duty, well, like Mark Twain, they decided that this was a fight they could not support. So in solidarity with the brown-skinned Filipino rebels being crushed by the second of two foreign empires at that point, well, an unusually large number of the buffaloes not only deserted the U.S. Army, but they joined the rebels. They joined the rebel cause. The day you don't believe in the mission is the day you need to quit. Being a ranger shouldn't even be a job. It's a vocation, it's a calling, a mission, something more like being a Buddhist monk than a basic policeman. The policeman is the security guard for capitalism. While the ranger is pledged to defend the wild lands for the species of Earth, including people in moderation. To be a ranger should be a lifelong commitment, as it was in the old days, the early times. You take a vow, like a nun taking a vow of mystical marriage to Jesus Christ. But with the ranger, the commitment is to the land, the range. Protect it, protect the wildlife and the wild flora. Educate and protect the visitors who come in good faith. And round up the poachers and anybody else who enters sacred lands for the purpose of harm and destruction. Round them up. No home on the range for those types. Return to sender. The Buffalo Soldiers... Well, they kept poachers under control in Yosemite Valley, for instance. They built botanical gardens on the river, on the first trail up to Mount Whitney. They kept tourists out of trouble, and they're even credited with the most iconic part of the park ranger's uniform. The distinctive Smoky Bear Stetson with the Montana Peak pinched into the top. They brought it back from Cuba, where soldiers started recreasing the hats by pinching them into a peak that better shed the tropical rains of Cuba. And it just looks so good. So those early photos you see of the buffalo soldiers patrolling Yosemite back in 1899 with their Montana pinch, Smoky Bear hats. Well, that became the inspiration for the park ranger hat still worn today, still seen today out on the trail.
Now, if you really want to learn about the Buffalo Soldiers, I suggest you look up Ranger Shelton Johnson at Yosemite National Park. He's got an Instagram at Yosemite Shelton, so you can do this right there on your phone. If you haven't already thrown your phone into the recycling bin. We've got a link to Ranger Shelton Johnson's Instagram and his biography and some of the work he has done at reconstructing the history of the Buffalo Soldiers. Now that's up on our website, DesertOracle.com. And you might have seen Shelton Johnson on that PBS documentary a few years back about America's national park system. He has done a lot of good work illuminating the contributions of black Americans to the national park system to our nation's land conservation movement. As for the Buffalo Soldiers themselves, they are not as far back in the midst of history as you might think. The very last of them, Mark Matthews, died at the age of 111 just 15 years ago in 2005. He was healthy to the end. And he is buried at Arlington National Cemetery. tell you something else about Mark Matthews. In his later career, he took care of Eleanor Roosevelt's horses in Washington, D.C. He was a member of the Drum and Bugle Corps and a talented musician. And so he played taps for many a funeral at our National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. But get this. Black troops weren't allowed to attend white funerals back in the day. So Mark Matthews would be playing his horn hidden away in the woods 
uh, share a quote with you. It comes from Stephen P. Mather, the first director of America's National Park Service. Everything the ranger knows, he will tell you. Except about himself. natural beauty of the American national parks have gone many companies of the Civilian Conservation Corps to further projects which will guard this wealth of beauty against destruction by man and nature. It is not made work. Since it came into existence in 1916, the National Park Service has set up long-range plans for the preservation and enjoyment of the parks and the coming of the Conservation Corps immediately presented the service with a strong, young force to put these plans into action. National parks are not built. God did that in the beginning. So work in them is directed at the preservation of their splendid features, and the making of these features more comfortably accessible without disturbing natural conditions. Heavy machinery up in the clouds. Sure-footed mules lead the way. Stone and rustic construction are trademarks of the Conservation Corps. Nature trails are delightful features of nearly all national parks. In their construction, care is taken not to harm the natural surroundings. National parks have distinguishing features. The American educational system in the raw. One of the proposed park museums, an exhibit of dramatic interest, will be this old rifle, known throughout the area as the Charlie Gun. When the emergency conservation work program was undertaken, it was found possible to assign civilian conservation corps units to much of the preliminary and important work which needed to be done. At times, there have been as many as 15 conservation corps camps in the park, with a working force of approximately 3,000 men. Here are boys who are struggling in the congested areas of the large cities, most of them from New York and New Jersey. They knew their 42nd Street and 5th Avenue, their Riverside Drive and their Metropolitan Hotels, but these national institutions had not added much enjoyment to their lives. They didn't know the great outdoors where perhaps the greater opportunities for their future may lie. The Corps transported them physically and transformed them mentally. They're happy, healed, and saved for better days. 
They're paying their way with manual service and making an important contribution to the health and happiness of millions now living and still more millions of the future. In their leisure time, a well-organized educational program, which is a part of the Conservation Corps movement, is using their magnificent surroundings as a university campus with inspirational values which scarcely can be surpassed. Practical knowledge more applicable to present-day needs than any they have acquired before is being given them. And they look to the future with high hopes and high chins. time of great crisis and great need the civilian conservation corps was created Now, back in the Depression, almost a century ago, I'm talking about the previous Depression. Action had to be taken. Men who made up most of the workforce at the time had no work. Especially men in the cities aged 18 to 25. And so they went to work building trails, welcoming visitors. Making our national parks into the beautiful places they are today. Building the iconic stone and wood Lodges, ranger stations, bunkhouses, concessionaire buildings. The program was later expanded to cover men from 17 to 27. But sadly, it was phased out during the relative comfort and full employment of the mid-20th century. Now, we still have something like this today in California. It's called the California Conservation Corps. The mission is similar. And if you're looking for something to do, working outside in California's beautiful wildlands, look them up, talk to a recruiter, maybe get some money coming in. Open to everybody, 18 to 25 and up to age 29 for military veterans. 
And I want to mention something regarding episode number 87, in which we noted that Desert Solitaire author and occasional National Park Ranger Edward Abbey was advocating for a vehicle-free Yosemite Valley and Grand Canyon South Rim way back in the 1960s. Listen to this quote from the chapter Industrial Tourism and see what it brings to mind. Yosemite Valley could be returned to relative beauty and order by the simple expedient of requiring all visitors at the park entrance to lock up their automobiles and continue their tour on the seats of good workable bicycles supplied free of charge by the United States government. Did old Cactus Ed invent bike sharing in 1967? We did not have bike sharing in America until very recently, the early 2010s. And the first known city bike sharing system did not begin until 2003 in Vienna, Austria. And here I would like to note that a public bike sharing system is very different than those dot-com scam artists dumping a pile of bicycles in the middle of town in hopes of getting more venture capital and expecting somebody else to clean up their mess, as usual, as always. It's the public service that we're interested in for our national parks, for our wilderness parks. Not another dot con. Now, when we last brought this up, the idea of a car-free Yosemite, a car-free Grand Canyon, I got a few comments about access, which should be addressed. Of course, the babies and the elderly and anybody else who can't or won't hike or bike or ride a horse those last few miles will be shuttled to their destination in the same sorts of comfortable public transportation we've experimented with here in Joshua Tree National Park. Until the money for the project ran out last year because we live in a dystopia and a collapsing empire of greed and sorrow, but we'll fix that. Remember, remember. We're fixing all of that right now. It's happening right now. Have you noticed the downtown streets where you live are being reclaimed as public places for pedestrians, for people to sit outside and eat and drink like civilized human beings? If it's not happening right now in your town, Get on the horn and tell somebody, hey, look what they're doing in New York. Look what they're doing in Berkeley. Look what they're doing in Santa Barbara. 
When it looks bad, when it looks like things are going to hell, that's when we've been knocked out of the haze that usually surrounds our hard yet dull lives, that clouds our vision. And we need you to join the cause in whatever way you can. and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane, and we get some hot tracks from our own red, blue, black, silver every week for the program. Our theme song is by Pierre Langer. We broadcast from Joshua Tree on Friday nights locally from KCDZ 107.7 FM. Streaming on the internet if you're out of range, or better yet, get in range. Home on the range. Be all you can be. Be a ranger. I used to do these campfire stories outside, sort of like the ranger fireside talks, but with a lot more murder and mayhem and UFOs. And I promise we'll be doing those again before too long. And at one such event down in Palm Springs at the Ace Hotel a while back, I met a couple of good desert people. I believe at least one of them has lived in Panamint Springs. So she was probably the mayor or something. Anyway, hello to Christine and Dia. And happy birthday to Dia coming up on June the 8th. You can get Desert Oracle as a podcast through all the usual outlets. We've got a Patreon set up as well. It's how we pay the bills, and we're lucky to have a way. Lucky to have all of you. Join the few and the proud on patreon.com forward slash Desert Oracle, or just check our website, desertoracle.com. Every time I turn on the Twitter, I see another bunch of people laid off from newspapers, the radio, and the TV networks. It's just rolling blackouts, and it's almost like the powers that be would rather you not know what's going on. Not know the score, not know the scoop, not know the scene. I was talking with David Parsons on the Nostalgia Trap podcast about just this subject on his new episode that's out now. It's called Nostalgia Trap. It's time to do this stuff ourselves again. Take back the local airwaves, the local printing press... No, you're not gonna get rich, but what about living a meaningful life, doing meaningful work in the place you love, the place you live? That works for me. Let me mention something real quick. It looks like we will be doing something special for our 100th episode, Friday, July 17th, Outdoor Live Broadcast. We'll keep you posted. Good night from the Voice of the Desert.